And on that particular Saturday, my mom and dad came to visit from Duncanville. And so we took off to the downtown area to kind of explore a little bit. We started in the candy store, because that's what you do when you have grandchildren, right? (laughs) Then we went next door to Trinity Coffee, and we had a a drink and shared each other's uh, fellowship and had fun together. And then we decided, hey, let's just walk all the way around the square and see what other things we might discover. Well, what we discovered was plenty of opportunities for photo ops. So we would line up in front of some store and pose, and then we'd walk another couple of stores, and we'd pose again, and we did this as we made our way around the square. Well, we were on the north side of the square on Walnut Street, about by Brandy's house, when we stopped, or Brandy's restaurant over there, when we stopped and and sat down and had yet one more pose with great-grandpa and the two little girls. Kelly, by this time, had had it. He had had enough of the picture taken and the walking around. He was getting hot. And so he was headed to the truck to turn it on and get the air conditioner going. And about that time, my youngest granddaughter, Parker, sprung up because she caught him out of the corner of her eye. And she says, oh, no, Moku, Papa's on the loose. We've been following Jesus these last couple of weeks through the middle chapters of Luke's gospel, and we've been watching him as he travels along the road towards Jerusalem and shares how to be a good disciple. And these last couple of weeks, we have turned to the disturbing stories that begin to shake at our roots and challenge our sensibilities. Last week, we found Jesus at a banquet, at a meal. This week, we find him on the road again, on the loose. Will you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, we enter into your presence with great expectations. May the meditations of our hearts and minds and the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight. Amen. It's in chapter 14 that Luke begins to address a little bit of a tension that is forming. This tension between this God who opens God's arms and grace to many and this challenge and demand of discipleship. After a Sabbath meal at a synagogue leader's home, the crowds begin to grow around Jesus as he walks along the road. And he begins to take up time to talk to them about the demands of discipleship. I'm going to pick up with his journey in the 14th chapter, 25th verse, and go through verse 34. Listen now for God's holy word. Now large crowds were traveling with him, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, Yes, and even life itself cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This fella began to build 
and was not able to finish? Or what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If he cannot, then, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So, therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all of your possessions. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? This is the word of God for the people of God. So here in this very disturbing way, we see that Jesus turns to the crowds and clarifies for them the exact demands of being a disciple and the importance of counting the cost, even if we don't know what the ultimate price will be if we are going to follow him into Jerusalem. At this point on the journey, Jesus is not interested in all of those who have come out of curiosity. He's not interested in the tire kickers, the ones who are seeking to see what's going on. He is interested in those who are going to be all in, totally committed. Because Jesus knows that discipleship, as they get into Jerusalem, will require a totally different level of commitment. And he does not want those who don't have that commitment, who are simply balcony watchers, to be in the midst of the pain and suffering that will cost them. This level of commitment demands that we take a discerning look at the cost, even if we do not always understand ultimately what is required of us. Let me explain. In the mid-1950s, there were many who took up the commitment to join the Montgomery bus boycott following the Rosa Parks incident. Now, they measured the cost because what they knew was that that would mean they would have to walk to work every day. And their work was often miles away. And after a full, time, full day at the job, they would have to work home. They had measured the cost, but they did, not re, re, they did not realize at the time that it would require them to walk to and from work for 381 days. Young Olympian athletes also know that it requires much practice to get to that level of athletic ability. They are willing to sacrifice and put in the number of hours of practice that it requires. They understand the cost of being an elite athlete. But what they may not realize is that it also may cause them or require them to lose those precious adolescent years. In our world of great and high expectations, these stories of commitment seem to encourage us. We find it natural that we listen to these stories and we let that commitment impact our own lives. We teach our children to honor commitment. 
Our admiration for the accomplishment of others often inspires us to go to extraordinary means to make our own commitment. Even if that commitment is simply to uh, take up a new exercise program or to, to put in the hours it requires to take up a new sport or a new hobby. It also might inspire us to do something outside of our comfort zone, like do what is required to us to join a nonviolent protest for the rights of others. So when I thought about how these stories impact our daily lives, I began to wonder, why would I expect Jesus to require anything less of me than the world requires of me? Why is it that modern Christianity is so content to present discipleship as just another moralistic self-help regimen that makes the world a better place to be? What is it that we're afraid of? I wonder if what we are afraid of is that our Christian discipleship might require us to change. It might require us to sacrifice something that we may or may not be willing to sacrifice. It may require us to reshape our lives and become something different and new. But here's the reality of what Jesus is saying in this passage, and that is that discipleship will indeed change us. And that commitment over time will transform us into something new. And that there is absolutely no aspect of our life, not our relationships with our families, not our relationships with friends or colleagues, not even our relationship with our possessions, or the way that we encounter the world and see the world and, tr- and interpret the world. Nothing will go untouched by this transformative discipleship that Jesus requires. Following Jesus puts us out of our comfort zone, pushes us out, and there is a real cost to that. Steve Cameron was a sophomore at the University of Northern Iowa when he started to attend a local campus ministry program. Now, when Steve arrived at school, he admits that he was a racist, that he kind of wore it like a badge. He had no desire to talk to anybody that was a a person of color or a different background than his or or came from another cultural understanding than his. He had never been violent towards anyone, but he also did not tolerate them. And he often spoke ill of them. He wrote an article recently about his experience through this campus ministry program and how his growing discipleship began to change him. He wrote how he saw how God had loved people that were different than him, people of color, people of other nations, people of other cultures. This change of heart for Steve had put him in direct conflict with his childhood friends. At first, he just didn't laugh anymore when they told those inappropriate jokes or innuendos. 
then pretty soon he began to speak out against them, which put him at direct odds with these people that he had grown up with. He writes this in his article. He says, Jesus was beginning to change my attitude and my beliefs. I know now that I will not only talk to, but I would welcome a friendship and a relationship with someone from another culture. The cost of Steve's deepening relationship with Christ was challenging at times. It caused him to be at odds with his friends and even perhaps lose a friend or two. But all of us know that anything we make a commitment to comes with an associated cost, even if we're not sure exactly what price is required of us as we get down that road. Someone made the observation that parents, if all that they knew is about the pain and the challenges of raising children without all of the joy that also comes with those challenges, the world would be childless. The joy of discipleship is the commitment to lead towards transformation, to live into a new life. Today's scripture leaves us challenged. Jesus' words seem harsh. They seem demanding. They seem to leave no room for compromise. And yet, Jesus says this really interesting thing at the end about salt. Jesus says that salt, if it loses its saltiness, it also loses its purpose. Taste is the essence of salt. Our Lord and Savior, our Master, wants us not to lose the very essence and the purpose of who we are. We were created by God to love God. That's our essence. And we were created with a purpose to love others. So counting the cost of discipleship provides more than a moral compass. It's a way of measuring our own essence our own purpose, a way of measuring our commitment to discipleship. But Jesus is clear. Discipleship is costly. And that cost is that we will never be the same. And the deeper we go in that relationship with Christ and in that discipleship, the more transformation will take place in our lives. Jesus is simply asking a legitimate question. Are you and I all in? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.